All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the Spooky Newfie Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Witten, and joining me, as always, is my close friend and co-host, John Fitz. This is a special episode, actually, listeners. This is um, the very first episode in our new bonus series that we're launching, which we're going to entitle Horror Stories. So in this new uh, series, we're going to be inviting friends, families, members, associates of the podcast to kind of come on and share initial experiences and love for the horror genre as a whole. And uh, in addition, we want to put the wheel of horror aside for this episode as well and let the guest pick a specific movie that means a lot to them and uh, basically just open the floor for discussion and we'll analyze the film as we usually do. So... Uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our very first guest to the podcast named Andrew Fitz, the younger brother of co-host John Fitz. Boo! Yay! Oh hey, Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I Listen, as you know, I'm in Vancouver, um, but I hope that doesn't preclude me from being a spooky newfie. Oh, absolutely. Now, you're, an, you're a, uh, a newfie born and bred, man, so don't worry okay. about that, no matter where you're located <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> So, yeah, so, um, like I was just kind of saying in the intro there, Andrew, like, uh, we don't want to kind of, like, confine it too much. We just kind of want to do a little get-to-know-you here at the beginning of the episode, and uh, basically just want to let it leave the floor to you here, and just kind of give your initial overall experience, and, you know, what it is you love about the genre, maybe where it all kind of started for you, maybe when you came overly interested in it, or has this been a lifelong thing, or maybe a recent thing, kind of like John in the past five, ten years. Mm -hmm. I think for me, well... I am John's younger brother, and we have an older brother as well, um, who is surely listening to us right now. Um, I think when you guys started watching horror, or even anything you guys were watching, I was always sort of there in the background, sort of watching or listening to. So I was exposed to very mature things um, at a, from a very young age. Um, including horror, things that I should have never, ever been watching at the age of three, four, and five. Um, so, and some of the shit that um, I saw was horrifying. I mean, stuff that um, absolutely cooked my shit at the age of three, four, and five. And so I think I always loved horror, even from a really young age, because it was almost like, like a thrill ride, like just almost like being able to like get through it was like this huge, huge accomplishment for me. And I think that morphed into like an actual appreciation for the genre and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I think just being exposed to horror from a way too young age sort of... Uh, kind of um, helped mold Jay. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and the reason why um, I guess I proposed to talk about The Sixth Sense because that was, I think, the first movie that really really truly and fully fucked me up <laughs> and we'll talk about that um because is I there any I kind have... of i guess kind of get into that too now that you kind of mentioned the movie itself is there a particular because i mean we keep saying like horror like as a over-encompassing umbrella term but like i guess mm. the point of this show and like what me and john are trying to get into the nitty-gritty of is just kind of breaking down how many various subgenres there are to this overall encompassing horror and just genre filmmaking in general. So I guess just from like your experience stuff, like is there a specific subcategory or type of films that kind of like you gravitate more than others? Or is it just kind of like you just take anything that kind of comes your way? Yeah, I sort of watch literally anything that's being created. Um, I try and take in as much as possible. But um, I think what I love the most 
is horror where it's a little bit more of like a I don't know like a like a psychological sort of thriller like I I'm not really I don't really get off on like jump scares for example which is why I think the sixth sense is so spooky for me uh, because there isn't really a whole lot of that but yet it is so incredibly chilling like I like sort of like a like a slow build I guess gotcha so you uh, like that payout at the end of a slow burn type of thing yeah and sort of just uh, I guess I still have that little bit of like yeah I got through it like I've always been I think most fascinated by the things that terrify me the most like John I don't know if you remember but do you remember when I was like a little kid and I used to draw like picture I used to design roller coasters yes I do and then once we finally went to Disney World, I was, like, terrified, and I wouldn't write <laughs> yeah. anything. Like, you That's would think true. that I'd be going on, like, all of them, whatever. But no, I was, like, I was more so just, like, obsessed with the idea of how fucking terrifying these things were. And when it actually came time doing it, I couldn't do it. Um, sort of the same thing with, like, horror movies <laughs> at a young age. But now that I'm 28 years old, I think I can actually do it, so... Now that I'm grown up, I think I can uh, yeah. <laughs> take down these movies. Yeah. So like, is there any kind of particular decade that sticks out to you or anything? Because, I mean, it, it, I find, like, horror fans in general can kind of, like, be plotted into a number of different kind of, like, I don't know, fandoms and, and stuff itself. Like, for instance, there's some people who are just fucking, like, like they'll like every horror movie you can think of, but they usually obsess over the iconography of, like, 80 slashers or, like, specific, like, campy subgenres and stuff like that. Is there a particular, like, decade maybe that kind of stands out for you? Or, is it, again, is it just kind of like, no, it's a specific kind of, like, maybe, sounds by the, from what I'm hearing, maybe kind of like a paranormal route is what you like to go. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think sort of stuff that's paranormal. Um, well, I guess if I, could told you, if I told you some of, like, my favorite horror movies, I guess you guys would probably be able to piece together what sort of genre I like. Yeah, I don't, I don't, let's uh, toss them out, sure. Yeah. Um... And a lot of things I like, I guess, are sort of newer. I mean, in The Sixth Sense, I think, will always be sort of my favorite horror movie. But It Follows, for me, is, like, just the best. But I, also, The Blair Witch Project, I absolutely love. I literally watch it probably, like, once a month. <laughs> like, I, it's like a comfort <laughs> movie. I always just, like, have on in the background, which is ridiculous it's kind of funny man you say that because that's kind of what me and john kind of got into when we were talking about that is yeah it's it's like because of like we, we had to paint the picture of what is horrifying about it because like i mean when you just take it out of the box and just kind of like put it in front of someone without a context i guess i can see how it's not scary to some people is what i'm trying yeah. to say but at the same time i can see with like kind of like the mundaneness of it throughout like how it could be kind of a background comfort watch even for some people yeah it's weird as weird as that might sound Absolutely. Um, what else? The Babadook. I love. I love The Shining. I guess I like a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Is it okay now that? Because um, again, like you're. I'm trying to think now because you're younger than us. Uh, is there any ones in particular that stand out in terms of like ones you might have seen in theaters? Because like I'm a big advocate for obviously just going to see movies in theaters. Period. But like I think as both of you can agree, just like like comedy movies. Like when you go to see the horror movies specifically in a group environment and like you're around people and you're kind of like you know literally taking in the atmosphere and environment mm -hmm. of the room itself it does create a certain impact to you mm -hmm. and it adds a lot more to the experience kind of, kind of like hereditary when me and john were talking about last episode um is there uh like is there anyone to stand out to you that you might have saw in theaters john did we go see the witch together 
I think we did. Yeah, I know. I definitely uh, actually no, because I, I think you because I remember you telling me about it. To be honest with you, like, I remember there was a lot of buzz when that movie came out. But then you were one of the people like I knew that had seen it in theaters, and you were recommending it to me and summarizing it. So I don't think so. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I th- all right. I remember, I remember I saw it with my friend. I Katie, did see it. I did see understand the accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna say I I actually sort of avoid going to horror movies in theaters because I often find the viewers, the audience, to be so annoying. That's like the, that have, is the, 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 the you're right. Like the pros and cons of it, because you can get a big room full of shitheads, right? And it's just can completely ruin the experience at times, right? Yeah, totally. Like, and you have, you know, there's almost like, and I guess the same way that I was when I was younger, it was like the the focus is on, is on just like getting through it and being like, oh, that wasn't too scary. Like, you know, yeah. fun. And, and almost like laughing at all these sort of scary moments. It just sort of takes away. I'm, I just often find myself just like shushing at everyone around me. Um, but if, if, if there's something in there that's like niche enough, like I remember I went to um, The Witch. I mean, I don't know how many teenagers are going to like, you know, period piece right <laughs> valid point valid point um so that and just because that is just such an unbelievably good movie and terrifying that really oh my god that was such an incredible experience i think i saw that maybe like maybe twice in theaters um nice. what else in theaters i remember when i saw this was a long time ago i'm not a huge fan of the whole like found footage or like paranormal activity saga but i remember the first time that I saw Paranormal Activity was in theaters. And I guess I was still sort of, besides Blair Witch Project, I was still, you know, sort of brand new to the whole found footage world. So it was, like, very terrifying for me. And I think I actually wasn't... (laughs) I wasn't actually totally sure throughout the movie, and even in the few hours after, whether or not it was actually real. Like, I remember actually wondering, like, is this actually... Like, did this actually happened because sort of like Blair Witch Project you know at the end there was like no credits for example yeah. things that are like that always denote just like a produced movie those things were missing and I was like well if people worked on it there'd clearly be credits like oh god <laughs> um, <laughs> and I remember the, what was so unique too about the, especially the very first Paranormal Activity was again they kind of took this weird guerrilla marketing campaign with it where it's like I don't know if you guys remember but it's like you had to like vote for it to come to your town before like before like Spielberg and stuff like that uh, put the bought the distribution rights for it and like they beefed it up and they like changed the ending slightly. Um, I remember, yeah, it's like it used to get voted and then it would come to like college campuses and like and then it was almost like they were showing you like this like creepy pasta kind of YouTube forbidden video. I remember and it added to like what you're saying because you're just kind of like, what am I watching here? Because like if it's a normal movie, like why don't you just fucking put it in theaters type of shtick, right? So I remember that because I didn't come here until it got the major release from like I said the actual studios itself, and I remember that just like always caught my attention. And I remember the reason I watched it first. Uh, I didn't. I couldn't even see it in theaters. I remember me and my brother. Uh, we like fucking watch it online or something. We somehow found some version of it on that way. And it just, yeah, it it because like you said, it's found footage. The way it was presented to you and the fact that how we had to hunt it down, it added to the experience. As weird as that might sound. Yeah, absolutely. And by the time Paranormal Activity four, five, six, seven, eight came out, it was like, <laughs> oh gosh, like we clearly know. know this like trope now. Um, but yeah, I think that was that was extremely well done how they did the first one. They probably uh, took cues from the Blair Witch Project for sure in terms of how like to do that whole sort of marketing leading up to it. 
Yeah, well, John, uh, since he's your brother and all, I didn't know if you had any questions or anything. You wanted to kind of bounce off him, get to know him a little more? Um... <laughs> I think I've asked him enough questions, honestly, to last a lifetime. So I think everything I need, everything I need to know about him, I know already. So I'm, I'm ready to dive in personally. <laughs> John's like, no, I'm good. Leave me alone. No, okay. So that sounds good then. Let's uh, jump right into the main attraction here, folks, um, which is The Sixth Sense from 1999, directed and written by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis as Malcolm, Haley Joel Osment as Cole, and Tony Collette as the mother Lynn. Um, a brief synopsis for the film is young Cole is haunted by a dark secret. He is visited by ghosts. He is too afraid to tell anyone about his anguish except the child psychologist, Dr. Malcolm Crow. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the truth about Cole's supernatural abilities, the consequences for the client and therapist are jolted and that awaken them both from something unexplainable. Sixth Sense, man. Pretty iconic film overall. Uh, this one, as I'll get into in a few minutes, means a lot to me as well similar to the Blair Witch at the time it came out and stuff and like where I was doing in life. But since, yeah, since this is your pick there, Andrew, why don't you uh, start us off and just give us your overview here and then me and John can kind of backtrack and do the same thing ourselves. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe I'll start with an anecdote about this movie. So I was what, I remember I saw it sort of as soon as it came out. Um, I don't know if it went to theaters, but I remember um, I watched it because we rented it from Blockbuster. And I remember that I watched it at Roma Reddy's house. Shout out to Roma Reddy, who's no doubt listening. Um, and I was hanging out with Alyssa in the basement. And we were watching it. And this was, when I think back to the response that I had to this movie as a seven or eight-year-old, I remember, I think, I think this is like one of the two times in my life when I actually had a full-blown panic attack. <laughs> I mean, it was this movie wrecked me i remember the part where cole sees he goes out and there's the woman there in her dressing gown and she yeah. has all the slashes on her oh, arms right. and all the drawers are open and she says to cole look what you did to me i remember when i saw that i first of all started to cry <laughs> and then i ran upstairs and I watched Wheel of Fortune with Alyssa's parents for about 90 minutes because I was so petrified. Um, but this movie was, I just can't even explain to you just sort of like the, the power that this movie had for me at such a young age. I mean, it just terrified me so much. I thought about it all the time. Um, like I said before, like I just always became, as a kid, was always just so fixated on the things that scared me so much. And that was it. It was just the fact that it scared me so bad. And I guess as I got older, I actually started to appreciate that this is not just spooky, but is also just a really, really beautiful movie. And it's sort of like a love story. Yeah. Um, which I never sort of appreciated at all, obviously, as a kid. Um, so I think we talked about, you know, different horror genres. I think that what's so special about The Sixth Sense is that it really sort of transcends all these different, you know, film genres really, really well. Um, and when it ends, you sort of feel like, uh, not really a happy ending, but it's a really sort of special ending. And, and of course the twist. I the mean, twist. I mean, we could spend all day talking about the twist. I, yeah, I, I almost think it's worthwhile just to talk about the twist. <laughs> oh, I, I'd say once, once we get through this initial <laughs> overview, you're right. I just kind of want to just get that 
elephant out of the room right yeah, away exactly. and then we can just kind of attack everything for what it is yeah. but uh Fitz what about you man like I, I guess you're kind of basically joined somewhat in, in when Andrew experienced it or did you kind of like take it in at an earlier age did you see it in theaters at all because like, yeah I, I did I, I did see it in theaters uh I have pretty vivid memories actually of seeing it in theaters um it was one of the so I, I would have been I guess uh maybe 11 or 12 when this movie came out and uh, this was a movie that I think a lot of kids, because me and Scott are the same age, I think a lot of kids in our age and sort of that junior high age were going to see it because it's, uh, in America, it's rated PG-13. I'm not sure what the equivalent would be in Canada, but in any case, you had large numbers of kids that were like junior high, certainly high school, they were able to go and see it. Uh, so I, rem- I do remember that I went and saw it with a group of friends, and I remember yeah, being definitely a bit disturbed during certain scenes. Andrew, it's funny that you mentioned that scene with that woman um, with the slashed wrist in in the kitchen. That same scene really affected me. And honestly, like, I can remember, like, there was a, a few different scenes in the movie where I actually couldn't look directly at it because it was so, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much uh, effective suspense built. And um, I was just so terrified as to what I was going to see. I was literally averting my eyes a little bit when I was watching. Um, I was a, I was a little bitch, by the way, if you can't uh, tell. But <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I um, and I remember being there with a group of friends, and everybody was kind of similarly scared. And I remember there was lots of people there that were like making audible reactions at certain scenes and that kind of thing. And I remember. You know, at school, this was a movie that everybody was talking about. I mean, it kind of reflected a broader cultural uh, sensation that I was having at that time. I mean, this movie was, you know, as anyone from a certain age or certain generation knows, this movie was a bit of a cultural sensation, did extremely well at the box office, was parodied, I feel like, on SNL and Scary Movie. And was, I mean, Haley Joel Osment, for for good reasons, his performance was got so much attention, so much acclaim. And uh, I think that broad cultural excitement it was reflected uh amongst kids because so many kids were seeing it because uh, they were permitted to see it so i remember this just being you know really i mean i don't know i mean when i honestly think about think back to my teenage years or like my my preteen years this might be the horror movie that the, most people saw and got the most attention so i mean this is you know, one of these movies, again, that, that I sort of saw in my formative years, scared the shit out of me, had a ton of respect for. And really, when I think think back, I mean, this might have been one of my earliest experiences with a horror movie where I found myself kind of appreciating it, appreciating it from like a film craft standpoint. Because I think, I mean, the, the, the twist, which, you know, everybody knows, I feel like, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie, you probably know what it is. But I can remember when... You know, having that realization that uh, Bruce Willis was actually dead and um, having like a pretty immediate appreciation for like, oh, wasn't that clever? You know, I mean, like now it was in my 11, 12 year old brain that probably didn't, you know, realize every level of 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 effective filmmaking in the movie. But I, I did. I do remember having appreciation like, oh, that was really clever how they were able to kind of conceal that so well throughout the movie and how. You know, we as audience members, unless you were really keen, you know, didn't pick up on that uh, that reality in the movie. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's uh, definitely had an impact for sure. It's definitely a movie I remember vividly watching. And um, yeah, happy to talk about it. What about you, Scott? What's your relationship with the movie? Yeah, no, I, th- I think you did a really good job outlining it there, man. Like I, I um, I had a very, very similar thing. I remember 
for some reason, this and the Blair Witch Project always stand out to me because I think they both came out in the same year. And uh, I saw both of them in theaters, and they're both completely different experiences. But, yeah, the thing about The Sixth Sense for me always was it's kind of like you just nailed it there, Fitz. It was just kind of like it, it was at such a young age, especially seeing it in theaters. And I went to see it with my dad, I remember. And it was just kind of like we went to see it. I remember specifically even stood out to me that we saw it in Sobe Square. It was in one of like the smaller ones. And it was just like deathly quiet. Shout out and- Sobe Square. Shout out Sobe Square again. Well, that's, yeah, the setting is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the lobby the alone. <laughs> the lobby alone is terrifying. Why is everything uh, cheaper? Why is nobody here? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, no, I, I just remember vividly just like where I was when I saw it and just like what it was, like the, what the, I appreciate what the movie was doing like as a whole because I think like kind of like the point you made last episode two fits when we were talking about the exorcist is how Friedkin was saying how he considered the exorcist more of a drama where there was an exorcism involved in it. But I don't agree with so much with that movie, but I do agree with that more sense with this. I feel like this is a drama where it's revolving around a ghost story with very effective scares that are earned. Right. And I feel that the scare to me and what the terror is of it is because they, they make such an effort to create this grounded, tight story between these three characters. And they take their time and push the pace. It's such like uh, – it's not a slow burn, but it's like they take the time to make the reveal where it's like a double twist, where it's kind of like you think the whole time is like him seeing the fucking ghost is going to be the twist. And then when you get to that, it's like how are they going to resolve it? So that's why it's like the one-two punch at the end. It just means so much more. And – from a cultural standpoint, like a pop culture standpoint, like you're right. Like I just remember at the age I was, this is one of those flicks where it's like everyone was talking about it, but like nobody wanted to spill to, to ruin the secret. Everyone was so respective of this hit, but no one was going around saying like, oh, guess what happens in the end, you know? So it's like I thought it was so amazing how like it captured everyone. And I was even like looking at the stats saying how like – 80 million people in 2000 rented this movie. Like, that's fucking insane when you think about it. Because it's just, it was such a sleeper hit. Because I don't think it came out the gate and was like this huge anomaly or whatever. I think it took like two or three weeks to grow this fanfare and become the sensation that it was, right? Because basically word of mouth was spreading just like to what this movie was actually kind of doing for the genre as a whole. Because I think another point I wanted to kind of make is that like the tentpole movies that kind of changed and shifted the horror industry in the late 90s would be Scream, Blair Witch, and The Sixth Sense. And they all did their own parts in changing the landscape of horror for the better, right? Like, I mean, you have Scream rejuvenating the slasher genre and taking in more of the meta-ness of what filmmaking can be. You've got Blair Witch basically showing you what guerrilla filmmaking can do. And in my opinion, like even though it existed before Blair Witch, putting found footage into what it is today. And then you have The Sixth Sense, where it's basically kind of doing what The Exorcist did decades before, where it's taking the horror genre serious again. And it's allowing people to like not scoff at it and not just say that's genre filmmaking and rolling their eyes. Like This is, again, bringing horror genre back to the light of being nominated for Oscars and being taken seriously as filmmakers and stuff, right? So it's a really important movie, and uh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> probably in 10 years this is probably this is probably my first rewatch in about 10 years i've seen this and yeah i've got a lot to say about it uh let's get into the movie itself and just kind of do what we were just saying fuck it let's not beat around the bush let's just say what the fucking twist is at the end because this isn't a movie where i want to go from a to z on like i don't think that's the way it should be attacked 
this should be like, let's talk about what happens at the end. And there's so much to kind of gloss over in terms of the multiple themes and things this movie's trying to say and just the interesting characters themselves. So I don't know if you wanted to kind of paint the picture, John, of basically like what actually happens at the end and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So um, at the end of the film, basically, uh, you have, well, first of all, you have, Haley Joel Osment, Cole is the name of the character, is, you know, is in this state of crisis throughout the film where he, you know, he, um, he has this secret. We, you know, we don't know initially what it is as audience members. We do know that he has a bit of a troubled background. He has sort of like a, you know, a, a mom that, that works two jobs. Um, he's, his, his parents are recently divorced. Uh, have, and he, on top of that, is kind of bullied. And we, at the beginning of the film, you have um, Bruce Willis, who's a child psychologist, is you know has is taking on Cole as uh, as his, his his doctor. So Cole's gonna be a client of him. And then, anyway, Cole has this secret, which he doesn't really reveal to anybody. But throughout the movie, uh, it's eventually revealed to us as audience members, and later to Bruce Willis that Cole sees dead people. He sees ghosts, and nobody else sees them. And they not only does he see dead people, but they seem to be pr- to him pretty aggressive. Uh, they harm him, and he's terrified of them. So he is just this very uh, shell shocked kid. He's just he's 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 always in the state of, of panic and fear and et cetera. So, in any case, um, Bruce Willis is kind of working with Cole to try to help him here. Doesn't initially believe Cole necessarily in terms of what's going on, but he wants to help him. However, Bruce Willis does actually come to a point where he does believe Cole. And as we'll uh, see, even that just believing someone in their struggles and believing someone in the trauma they go through, I think is probably a central theme of this movie. But due to Bruce Willis actually thinking about a previous uh, client that he had, uh, this guy Vincent Gray, who I'm sure we're talking about, the guy who ultimately kills Bruce Willis at the the, uh, beginning of the movie. But due to... Uh, Bruce Willis kind of having this discovery where he realizes through listening to a tape recording that this guy, Vincent Gray himself, actually was also haunted by ghosts. Um, Bruce Willis kind of has his realization. So there, presumably, he thinks, oh, this is probably the same thing going on with, with Cole. In any case, Bruce Willis tells Cole what you need to do to get over this is to uh, actually maybe listen to the ghosts, listen to what they have to say. Uh, which is what Cole does. There's one girl in particular uh, who is trying to communicate with Cole about something. Uh, we find out that she's uh, she's was a girl that was actually poisoned by by uh, the is that the mother by the way in yeah, the, it is that's the mother it is, it is the mother I wasn't sure so anyway um, we find uh, we find out that the the girl is poisoned by um, by the mother and then. Uh, we get to this point where we get a sense that Cole is kind of moving forward, that this has really helped him in a lot of ways, being able to help this, this girl ghost, uh, tell her story and Cole listening to ghosts has really helped him. And he kind of says throughout, you know, that towards the end of the film, that this is something that is kind of working on, even though he's still terrified. So in any case, at the end of the film, we have this sense where Bruce Willis feels as though his job is kind of done. You know, he kind of feels like, Oh, I've helped Cole. You know, I've, 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 you know, helped him kind of uh, move forward. So we kind of decides he's no longer going to be his doctor. So then there's this dramatic scene where Cole or uh, Bruce Willis rather uh, comes home. And as he walks in, 
he sees that his wife is um, asleep on the couch and she's watching these old wedding films, which she's accustomed to do throughout the film. And then um, we know, we see that she drops his wedding ring on the floor. And it's at that moment that he realizes, oh, I'm not wearing my wedding ring. And not only am I, am I not wearing my wedding ring, but uh, the reason she has my wedding ring is because obviously it was probably taken off of me when I was when I was shot at the beginning of the film. So then we have this moment where we have all these uh, have a montage, I guess, of all these moments throughout the movie where Bruce Willis is in the company of characters in the film that he's not, in fact, communicating with that are not talking to him directly, that, you know, they're kind of coexisting together. Uh, but they're not, there's no actual communication going on. So then we, as audience members, are having this realization with Bruce Willis, holy shit, this guy's been fucking dead throughout the entire movie. This gunshot that he sustained by the former patient, Vincent Gray, at the beginning of the movie, actually killed him, and now he's, um, now he's actually dead. Then soon after that, there's kind of a, um, a, a quick resolution, I guess, after he realized that he is, in fact, dead. Uh, there's this really tender, really heartbreaking moment at the end of the film where he communicates with his wife. And, um, but in any case, in that last moment, he's kind of, kind of at peace. So in any case, in terms of the twist, I can remember, you know, just that being such a, you know, a, a, a an affecting, uh, moment. And that, and then ultimately, I guess that twist became arguably maybe a little bit of a, of a cliche in M. Night Shyamalan's films, uh, thereafter. I mean, we can think of, various films after that where he would you know seemingly employ that technique several times yeah exactly it kind of he became kind of like a victim to his own success in that where it's like yes the twist is fantastic and it's fucking awesome and it's really what makes it puts the movie on the next level but like he got away from the fact and like you forget how well written this movie is outside of just leading up to the twist and how much of a core this movie has and like i find the problem is as he progresses in his career he's trying to like with the producers themselves i'm sure they're all just like we want to twist them we want to twist like movie seems good but you know we got to wrap this up you can feel the pressure for every movie he released after the fact unbreakable signs the village they all had to have these fucking like little twists at the end right so you're you're kind of waiting for that and I feel like, again, like, that's shitty how, like, that's what he took away from that for his career, to kind of, like, be that guy to do that. But uh, I think he's kind of sort of on the right track nowadays. Um, I didn't mind the visit. And uh, what do you call it? Split was good. Didn't really like yeah. Glass. But, uh, you know, like, he seems like he's kind of on the right track and not so much falling into that trope anymore. But that's why, yeah, but you did a really good job there, man, of, like, painting the picture in terms of, like, basically just the through line of the movie because i, I want to get that out of the way right away because like there's so many things to talk about once you once that's out and on the table like w there's so many things to talk about in terms of the mechanics of the twist why it's so important and just i don't know like in general like exactly like you were saying like how did you like how did that impact you when you first saw it were you just kind of like what the fuck or did it all make sense i guess so like andrew like what about you like when you were watching that like was that the big shining moment of it for you or was it just the film itself that kind of impacted you well i sort of have one question i want to ask you folks about the twist which was when you were re-watching this movie for for this episode did you have a hard time watching the movie knowing what the twist was i mean like where where was your mindset during that like were you were you trying to watch it like trying to avoid the twist trying to think that you didn't know the twist 
or were you like interested in like how the movie sort of um, does such a good job of concealing that yeah. plot point that Bruce Willis yeah, is actually did? I, I, I feel like I feel yeah. I mean, I, I think um, I have an incredible amount of hindsight hindsight bias now when I watch this film. Like I think I've I've seen this movie several times. And I, I think it must have been like after the second or third time watching it, like everybody. I mean, you're going back and you're and you're almost checking to see if there are any moments where Bruce Willis communicates with other people, which, of course, there aren't. Uh, but now that I've seen the movie a number of times over the years, I, I, I it, it sounds like almost smug. But like, I, I can't believe that I didn't notice it. I know. Because there are so many um, almost illogical moments and awkward moments where, you know, like, for example, like the first scene where we have Cole's mom and Bruce Willis uh, sitting across from each other uh, in those two chairs, you know, the scene I'm talking about. And then Cole comes in. And then soon after that, um, Cole and Bruce play that game where he's like stepping towards Bruce Willis and stepping back and that whole thing. But I mean, there's no introduction by the mom to Bruce Willis. There's no you know, formalities between the mom and Bruce Willis whatsoever. So like, it just, it, it, and there's all kinds of little moments like that where Bruce Willis is almost sitting on the outskirts is kind of observing other people as they're socializing. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, again, I, I just feel like I can't believe I didn't see it uh, at the time, but at the same time, you know, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because Bruce Willis is such a detached uh, work-obsessed person, very isolated in his own way, that, you know, it, it does make sense that he would be a bit isolated, detached from everyone else around him, because he is, you know, such a um, isolated person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I um, I, I agree, and it's like, I've just seen it, like, it, it's, you're right, if you go into it with the wrong mind frame of, like, <laughs> almost like you said, and you're trying to, like, not pretend like you don't know the twist, it's like you're just going to fight a losing battle. So it's, like, the only way I can kind of enjoy the movie now, and again, which we'll get into now a little deeper once we get past the notion of just the twist itself, is, like, the genius of this movie is, like, there's so much more to it than that. And that's why it's, like, when you revisit it, you forget how fucking well-written and just presented this movie is. So it's, like, it's not solely relying on that crutch. So now I can go back and rewatch it and kind of, like, I can't help but create my own kind of head canon for, like, what the fuck is actually happening because, like, they don't really explain to you, like, certain things. Like, for instance, some people are like, what the fuck is Bruce Willis doing all the time? Like, when, like, we don't see him doing the things that he's doing. It's like, what if they just wandering around just, like, fucking doing whatever? But, like, I believe it's, like, what Cole made a small mention of just saying, like, ghosts don't see each other. But, like, they see what they want to see. So I think, like, Bruce Willis, without, he's almost like he's in this dream state where, like, if you're in a dream all of a sudden you're doing one thing and then all of a sudden like that you're just kind of in another situation and like you don't fluidly consciously know what's happening because time is kind of like cut in cut and pasted for him so like when all of a sudden he's in the next day and then all of a sudden he's in the hospital room with Cole and the mom he doesn't know or he couldn't explain I'm sure how he got there but he's like I'm here and he just consciously is aware that he's there so I was going to jump in sorry I mean think about how the movie opens I mean you have this scene with um, you know him and his wife uh, looking at that award that is he's received from um, the you know the city of Philadelphia, he then gets shot, but then the next shot is him sitting down on a bench getting right. ready to meet Cole. So you got to think, you know, w where did his awareness break down between him getting shot and then being all of a sudden sentient and conscious on this bench? You know, you'd think yeah. that he would have memories of 
you know, of him exactly, getting and, and, that, and that's and whatever, right? And yeah. that's kind of the thing, right? That's what that's kind of how I choose to look at it, whether that's fucking right or wrong. But it's like it, it takes the edge away because, like you said, I've seen it enough now too, where there isn't any given instance where he's talking to someone. Like everything is answered on the screen in terms of him being a ghost like everything that happens makes sense that he's a ghost what i'm trying to say so like i'm taking notes of like other things too where it's like i know i don't know if you guys were aware or like have read it somewhere that like there's easter eggs throughout the movie too where whenever there's a ghost present there's a red there's something red present right so like throughout the entire movie like when he when he first shows up and he's walking after cole and he goes to the church the church doors are these huge red doors and his doorknob leading down to his basement is red. And then, like, the balloon when Cole's at the party and he's going up the stairs is red. The sweater he's wearing is red. When uh, he visits his wife in the anniversary dinner, she has a red dress on. When uh, fucking Cole is admitting to his mom in the car near the end, that scene, she's wearing a red sweater. So it's like, those are the little things I'm trying to watch more rather than trying to just be like, oh, trying to see where M. Night's slipped up somewhere because it didn't happen, right? So... Right. Yeah, it's again, so like without beating it to death, like that's how I kind of take it in. And I think the biggest surprise on this rewatch for me again is just how much I got from the narrative itself. Because I get kind of like what you're saying, Andrew, is like you kind of like have this preconceived notion of going in. I'm like, I know how this movie plays out and I know where the big bang is. But like, if I'm not just constantly building up to that and appreciate everything else around it, it's so much more rewarding. And then when you see it again, you're like, fuck, man, that is a good ending. You know what I mean? Even though you know it's coming, like, you just give the respect it deserves for, like, fuck, even, like, you know what's going to happen. It's like you earned that fucking shock value, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you sort of, um, once you accept that and you also accept sort of, like, the scary moments or, or the more disturbing moments or the scares um, sort of the same way, you can appreciate that those scares aren't really like ends so much in the movie um but those really are like tools those really function to tell um like this beautiful story and it's a good and distraction right from like taking you away from even like that being given away right like did just like what cole's going through kind of like takes you off that track of maybe like you know becoming so obvious that well uh, what do you call it malcolm's dead the whole time right so yeah so that's like i mean like overall like that's again talking about the twist and like this will all kind of cycle in with everything we're talking about for the movie itself but like now that we're on the topic and we're kind of digging into some of these characters let's just dive into honestly he's the top build but he's like of the three he's actually the least interesting as cold as that might sound but again as i we get into it it's deliberate in my opinion and that's malcolm which is bruce willis uh He's obviously top build here. Let's talk about him first and what he is. But like, what do you guys think of him as a character? And like, I I'll share my opinion. What I think it was, what I like about him from a casting standpoint and from a performance standpoint, and what it does for the movie as a whole. So like, what do you guys just think about Malcolm in general? I think he. Um, <laughs> I find him a bit of a flat character just to be with for the entire movie. I find, honest, his, his stoic nature a little bit kind of um, almost draining at times. Now, he does function, I feel like, as a pretty good foil in some ways to Cole, Haley Joel Osment, who's, you know, has a very, you know, is tasked with having a very uh, emotional responses at times throughout this movie. And, this, and frankly, the, the same thing can be said for Tony Collette in this movie. I mean, she is somebody that is 
in a desperate situation, you know, is dealing with a child that has a range of psychiatric issues, so it seems, and, you know, is dealing with the death of her mother, dealing with a divorce. And she has all these moments that are, uh, you know, very emotional, very intense. Um, and so, and, and I mean, it makes sense that I guess Bruce Willis or Malcolm would have this stoic demeanor. He is at the end, at the end of the day, he's a child psychologist. He's trying to, you know, be objective and he needs to, um, I guess, limit the degree that his emotions influence his, his judgment and his, his thought process and that kind of thing. Uh, and he's also someone who is very unhappy privately, of course. We know he has like a struggling um, marriage, it seems, or at least in his mind, a struggling marriage. Uh, he had, a, of course, a horrible situation where he was, was almost killed he thinks in his mind he thinks i guess that he was almost killed so certainly he's dealing with those wounds uh but i guess from an experiential standpoint i do find malcolm and bruce willis to be a very kind of flat sort of a character and honestly some of the moments when um he does have to um do a little bit more from an emotional standpoint i, I have to say i didn't find it totally convincing like there are moments when he's listening to cole and i think he's telling cole that he needs to no longer be his doctor. He's saying, oh, I have to go home and uh, deal with my wife because, you know, there's things happening at home and Cole is almost desperate and pleading with him, oh, please don't fail me, don't leave me. And then Bruce Willis is kind of shedding tears and I'm just, I don't know, in those moments, I was just kind of like, mm. No, I, I totally feel you, dude. Yeah. And, and, and I've always felt that way about uh, Malcolm in this movie is that he is, he's literally just, uh, it's kind of a weird comparison. It's kind of like Ewan McGregor in Doctor Sleep, where he's playing Danny, and it's like he's the protagonist, but he's just the vehicle for us to get through the movie. Like he's not like he. There's nothing really that he does. You're right. From a like a lot of the themes revolve around what happened with him, but there's nothing he's putting on the screen that's really like escalating me. But it's it's almost like. I give it a pass in this movie because I think it's specifically taken that he's kind of this flat milk toast protagonist because like otherwise you need to make him as unassuming as possible because if it, it, you don't like I know Shyamalan was writing that line of like if he, anything's too much attention's drawn to the character it's going to become mm. obvious what the twist is and then at the end of the day it's like at, really this is the Haley Joel Osment show like it's it's the fucking kid is what <laughs> we're all here to see man and i mean you know like if that performance fell flat similar to Willis but like i don't i'm not throwing shade on Willis but like i'm also with you Fitz where it's like when he did need to step up to the plate for some of those emotional scenes where he did need to put his chops out there, right? Like as an actor, yeah. I don't real. I agree. I didn't really vibe. It was a little too like raspy Willis, you know, and like, it's like, I felt a little forced, right? It's almost like Haley Joel Osment was like, dude, give me something to work with here. Like I'm fucking throwing bricks at you and you're not giving me anything. Right. <laughs> no, that, that, that's a good, that, that's a good point though, Scott, in terms of like not drawing attention to him. And honestly, like in, in terms of him being so flat and not drawing too much attention to himself, it also makes sense even with regards to the twist, I guess, because if he was this very extroverted, loud character, I mean, that wouldn't work within 30 seconds. Yeah, trying right? to, like, chat up the mom. You're like, so, how's everything <laughs> with you? How's everything going here? Like, not responding. I mean, like, it, you know, that, I guess, that sort of personality with him wouldn't really work based on the the plot of the movie, I guess. Right. Right. 
Um, sorry, I'm still laughing to myself, Scott, when you said the Haley Joel Osment show. <laughs> like, is that combined after the Rosie O'Donnell show? <laughs> and it's also his. It's also his only show, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing we talk about. It's, it's sort of like I. I mean, I. I must say I know nothing about Haley Joel Osment's career besides this, but I wonder if. Don't um, lie. Like... <laughs> I swear you love God. him. Yeah, no, we see really... the po- we see the poster behind your couch yeah. there. <laughs> um, I I really cannot tell you anything else he's ever been in. I mean, has um, has his career kind of sort of been also? I mean, it's it's an incredible performance, no doubt. But has it also sort of been like limited by this movie, kind of the same way like Linda Blair, like in The Exorcist? Yeah. Like, do we know him for anything else? No, it's like I mean, honestly, it, it's silly, but like, <laughs> I I know a couple of other side bits he's had over the years. Like, he played this one, he had a random comedy out like seven years ago where he played some sex ed teacher, <laughs> and uh, he's in like the movie Tusk, I think that AI. Kevin Smith made. AI was his other one after this, but the one I always remember him from is being fucking Forrest Gump's kid. <laughs> like, yes, that's the other right. And he was yes, younger exactly. in that movie than this movie, so like I don't know, but um. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush. Let's just get into that. I mean, let's get in the coal. And it's one of those weird things where it's like every time I rewatch this movie, I, I'm the worst person for like people like when it comes to child actors. I'm so insanely particular, and I like I give them a lot more grief than it's probably due because you know at the end of the day, I'm not much for like. <laughs> rambunctious precocious kids and stuff like that staring in movies especially when it comes to horror movies it can really take things away um but i mean this is just one of those cases where every time i rewatch it 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 fucking blows me away that this kid was like 11 years old and just like it's not even like he has one or two scenes that are believable like he is the driving force of the whole movie and he gives a performance at that age that i mean with it's not even just like the line reading it's the acting like he's acting yeah. like he's the subtleties it's the movements of his body and it's like i know that i know Shyamalan was giving helping him and assisting him and giving him tips and stuff but you can tell like this kid was fucking acting like i mean he knew what he was doing and i mean i rival this performance is like you know up there with like any a lot of other major adult fucking acting. It's, it's one of those ones where it's like i always roll my eyes when kids get nominated for oscars i'm like give me a fucking break but like this deserved it. Like it really did deserve an Oscar. Not like it's an incredible performance. And I think this watch around, it's, it, it still just shocks me how well it stands up and how like, I don't roll my eyes at the kid at all. He's like, when he talks, it sounds like he's 20 something is what I'm trying to say. Like, it's so insanely believable to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he and he's just a very enjoyable character to be with throughout the movie like i like i like you said like i didn't find him obnoxious like i found him he 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 walks this line between on the one hand seeming like very innocent and sweet but also like strangely um like shrewd and knowledgeable and like very like very aware and like very like uh socially aware which yeah. is kind of ironic because on the one hand he's like you know a bit of a social outcast with his peer group but he's also very perceptive when he's kind of looking at malcolm and um you know and others around him so like he's uh yeah throughout he plays like a very smart character he's very like emotionally aware he's 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 a very just well-developed character and uh Haley joel osmond in, in his performance uh yeah, it just does an incredible, believable job. I mean, it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the process was in in um, you know uh, vetting him for this or preparing him for this, but he um, really just um, you know was 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 um, amazing to watch. 
Yeah, I think um, I, mean, I can think of lots of like kids in horror movies who really contribute to the spookiness of the movie. I mean, I can think of um, like Hereditary, for example, the the little girl who's um, who's she's a uh, I mean she's troubled. She obviously seems very like psychologically troubled in some way, or she's just like a, like a weirdo. Um, have you guys ever seen Orphan? It's not that good, but it's, no, I, yeah. I, I've seen that I too. Have. Yeah. And again, yes. like you, it, it's interesting. Yeah, you're right, man. It's like, it's like he bypasses that trope of the creepy yeah. kid. Like he mm. he's the driving force for the movie, but he, he's not the creepy kid. You know what yeah. I mean? He's not Damien or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That, that would be the uh, archetype, I guess, right? Yeah, and it's just yeah. no, you're 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 so right, exactly. And like, never for one instance do I look at him like that. And what what impressed me so much more about not just his performance, which everyone talks about, but also I think what needed to be talked about even more when, you know, I say that she was nominated as well, is Tony Collette in this movie. Because I think uh, Osmond is only as good as who he's there kind of competing with. And I think as a sparring partner, like Tony Collette gives him everything he needs to succeed and expand past. And because and, the most emotional scenes in the movie are between him and, and, and Cole, right? Absolutely, for sure. Um... You know, she um, is is like um, some of the most emotionally intense scenes, and some of my favorite scenes are with those two. And it's it's you know this what this is kind of what gives this movie this kind of like more dramatic dimension as well. Like I mean, there's so many of these like sad scenes where they're sitting in the kitchen kitchen table and they're talking about their struggles, and you just feel for these people, and it seems so authentic and so believable, and. Um, you know, what I love about their dynamic as well is that they they communicate on such a such a, a high level at times, even though in some ways there's struggles with communication and that uh, both are kind of withholding information, particularly Cole when it comes to a secret and different things. But nevertheless, there's such a um, intelligent conversation at times that that uh, occurs between them and i think it's earned because yep. you know cole just comes across as such a uh, as such a developed character um but but she's but, but she's fantastic she uh you know and even just from a i guess background standpoint i can't believe that tony collette herself was only like in her mid to late 20s in this film like yeah it must have because i mean just think about it now you're right like i mean this is 20 years out from hereditary right so yeah she must yeah. have only been like late 20s or something at that right yeah, I mean, and she, she uh, to me, seems like she would have to be 10 years older. And so, I mean, so f- from that standpoint, it's 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 impressive as well. Um, Bruce Willis was, you know, 18. Yeah, he was, he was, he was 18. I mean, he, I, mean, I think uh, him and uh, Cole went to the same high school, I think. That's how they, uh, that's how they found Cole. <laughs> but yeah, no, and I think you just nailed it there, John, in terms of like what I was trying to kind of get at. It's like, it's it's a big mishmash of like two brilliant performances for two actors who clearly just trusted each other so much, and on top of that, just the writing of these insanely genuine family moments. Like I remember just like the conversation they had at the table where it's like he was wearing his dad's gloves, and then she was just being really straight up with him and giving him tough love, and just being like, "Our little family unit's not doing really good here," you know, and like she's just. She she's so frustrated where it's like I know something's wrong here, 
but like I need you to tell me what it is, right? Because like I can't get any help from any third party doctors. No one's able to help me or help me understand or even seems to give a shit, right? Yeah. But it's like that was such a real moment. And then like he went to his room and then like she came, remember like he saw a ghost or something in his room and came to him after. And like it's just this like really real moment between like a mother and a son. And I think, you know, one of the things I think from a, um, it, it, it's not too subtle, but one of the things I think is trying to deal with in this movie is the experience of having someone in your life that is going through something from a, from a, from a mental health standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she very much seems like to me somebody that would, would act in a similar way that has a child that is going through some sort of, you know, mental health issue that you feel powerless to help and powerless yeah. to provide them with the help uh, that they need. And, you know, she, she's yeah, at times, I, mean, I just so feel for her because clearly she wants to help her child. She loves her child. And in her mind, you know, uh, Cole is, 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 has these various issues that he's, that he's trying to, to work his way through. And she just, just feels at her wits end with him. Yeah, and I feel like honestly, it's 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 a weird comparison, and like I don't you know I don't want to give anything away from another movie we haven't discussed before, but it's like I feel like this movie, um, the the Babadook really leaned on the end result of one of the arcs here in this movie, where it's basically encompassing the idea of what you just said, where it's like you know black and white, like literally looking at what's happening here. It's like it's basically a parent trying to come to terms with you're right dealing with. A child who has mental health disorder doesn't have to be a specific one is what it's saying. But the ending result here of what the movie is, and again, similar to The Babadook, is that there's no cure here. There's no, like, fucking pill you can just give the kid. There's no one-size-fits-all, and this is all going to go away. But instead, you need to, as a unit and a support system, understand how to cope with this problem and how to deal with this day-to-day and, you know, lean on anyone who can help give you that support to do with it. And I think that's basically the end result arc for Cole. And I think that is encompassed then with uh, Lynn and her character basically of accepting what he is and basically just using him, you know, he can use her then as a proper support system through communicating to her, right? Because that's, to me... The over like of all the uh, the nit bits and sub themes and stuff that we're probably going to run through here in a second. The over encompassing thing about this movie is communication, and it's basically you can see it from Bruce Willis's standpoint and you can see it from Cole's standpoint, and it's basically just saying how important it is and as simple as it might sound is that if you're not going to communicate with people regardless of what the circumstances in and express yourself and let them know how you really feel how are you going to get to the root and understanding any problem is what it is right otherwise you're just going to implode on yourself is what's going to happen right yeah and in addition yeah exactly so i think that communication theme is is kind of bi-directional right because it's the importance of you sharing your own uh, thoughts and feelings. So we see that, like you said, with with Cole speaking to his mom. We see that with Malcolm speaking to his wife. You know, he has that resolution at the exactly. end where he yep. finally tells her that you know you were never second, and you know, kind of says his piece. But it's also in term. I think the communication theme comes through when it comes to being a good listener. You know, yep. and how important that is. Because I mean, and how important is that to earn trust from someone? Because that's basically where. The heads finally bang where obviously you had the famous line where he tells them, I see dead people. That's where Cole has felt for the first time that he's he's earned someone. Someone's earned his trust where he can literally tell him this this huge secret that he doesn't want to tell anyone, right? And I mean, again, like I think that's a layer on top of that of what you're saying, right? Is that 
you can't just it's more than just saying it and throwing it out in the world. It's properly expressing it and allowing people to understand and the importance of believing someone to a certain extent, right? Yeah. And beyond communication as well, I mean, like we often think of communication in terms of, uh, you know, listening and speaking, but I think even more, just more fundamental to that, um, acknowledging things and just kind of being aware of things, I think is kind of an important element of communication as well. And I think that, you know, if we want to push this kind of mental health dimension a little bit further, I mean, think about what gives Cole a lot of kind of closure towards the end of the film. It's him kind of listening to and uh, kind of dealing directly with these ghosts. I mean, I would almost think that maybe there's a parallel there with people that have various mental health issues, you know, where you have to kind of engage them in a very direct way. Uh, in order to find a sense of kind of closure yourself. So I think that, you know, being aware of things is a big element of communication, even if that means being aware of things maybe that are internal, maybe various demons or struggles that you're having yourself. I think what's really um, powerful, I mean, especially toward the beginning of the movie, Cole is very much presented as this victim. And he is. He's traumatized by the things that he's seeing. Um, and no one seems to, you know, he doesn't think that anyone's going to believe him um, if he sort of shares his secret. Um, but toward the end of the movie, um, it, him actually being able to see people turns into him being sort of able to, like, help people. And it almost turns into, like, his his superpower. And what's, yeah. what's, what's interesting is that this, the scare, the, the experience for the audience of the scares changes then as well. Like, I think... Yeah back to when mm-hmm. you know that part where i think he's like finally maybe he's finally admitting to his mom like that he sees dead people or whatever um but the part when he's in the car and the the biker like the biker over, right yeah i remember like yeah as, as a seven-year-old yeah that like scared the fucking shit out of me when i when i looked over and there was a bloody dead woman in the window um but now it's you know it's it, it wasn't at all scary you know it, it was like it was actually somewhat beautiful and yeah, also, because- and also the moment, sorry, and also the moment where, um, similar to that, when uh, Cole is in the school and he's kind of backstage, getting ready to go yeah. uh, up to the school play, and Cole is speaking with this ghost, this woman who uh, had been burned, you know, and it, it I mean, we we don't find out like for moments that uh, for reasons that I won't explain in depth, but we don't realize that she's a ghost until like a few seconds in to actually seeing her. But I think that's a very deliberate choice, Andrew, to your point by M night Shyamalan to kind of have ghosts there, but kind of lessen the tension and the kind of scare uh, element that that they kind of bring in um, similar to earlier parts of the movie. And that's clearly like the what you just said, Andrew, is a hundred percent what Shyamalan wanted to achieve at the end of that, like the last quarter of the movie. Because like, again, like he goes out of his way to eat, as subtle as some of the ghosts are. Like he just wants you to be terrified and on edge whenever you see anyone that could be, whether even if it's a kid, we're scared when we see them. But like, clearly, what he's trying to get across and just metaphorically saying is that these ghosts represent a problem that is happening with this child, whether it's from mental health issues or whatever it is. And like, yes, at face value, it's terrifying. It's scary. But the only way to take this, you know, the fear and, you know, misunderstandings of it away is to talk about it and approach it and take it at face value. And once you garner more of an understanding of what it is, 
You know, it mm -hmm. doesn't become as scary as what it is anymore. Even though it's still there, it still is what it is. But the fear is taken away from it. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. And I mean, it's... each of these ghosts have their own challenges and struggles that they're, that they're bringing to their situation. Uh, you know, I mean, the little girl, she was poisoned. You have, you know, the kid that was shot. You had the, the – we're talking about that um, – scene that you mentioned andrew at the beginning of the podcast the woman that was uh, in the kitchen i mean she clearly Ugh. was driven to suicide and, I, and she seemed to be like bruised so she might yep. have been like a battered wife and that kind of thing from ned or whatever his name was it kind of drove her to that so i think that yeah you're exactly right scott i think that like you know part of what the film is almost trying to say is that you know if we come to understand things that initially scare us you know, if we come to understand them through communicating and acknowledging and getting closer to them, that fear is taken away, which is yeah. the right place that we sh should be in as people and as society is understanding things, not just being turned off necessarily because they scare us in this sort of immediate way. And, and let's not, not to mention, there's all kinds of people that are marginalized or are suffering in our world that, you know, superficially may have qualities that appear to be scary, you know? Yep. But if you dig a little bit beneath the surface, you find that, oh, there's very uh, sad reasons as to why, maybe why they appear that way. And maybe my sense of them being scary is due to my issues that I'm having in terms of my superficial perception or lack of understanding. Exactly. And I mean, you know, and then like there's a, that's that's the over encompassing kind of message I wanted to get across that. Again, again, as you're as we're talking here, it's like other little sub themes are connecting to this overall encompassing theme of communication is what I was saying earlier. Right. And I was just so shocked on this time around just how much there was to kind of take from this rather than just, you know, again, like focusing on the twists and shit like that. Like, I mean, there's just clear, you know, no, notions about like what Malcolm's going through where. You know, the idea of just guilt, like he's a guilt ridden character from the beginning. He feels guilty that his wife, let alone himself, have gone through this experience because he feels like he failed at his pro profession with Vincent, right? Yeah. So, I mean, can we talk a little bit about a little bit about that Vincent? scene? About uh, that scene. Oh, he's so hot. You know who that is, right? Oh yes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I wasn't really sure. Like, no, Donnie was... Wahlberg from New Kids in the Block and Mark Wahlberg's brother for those. I uh, how do you I like the performance? Like, does anyone do you think it's a little too much? Some people kind of got mixed reactions with it. I have some questions about it. Why okay. is he in his underwear is uh, my first question. <laughs> is that ever explained why he decided to take his clothes off? I mean, like, that's... Uh, or, uh, I, I, guess guess to, I guess just to make us unbelievable... Like, uh, I, the only thing I can think of that's not obvious, that hasn't been, like, noted in the movie, is to just completely juxtapose, like, what we're experiencing. It's like this happy couple. They're, they're so believably lightly drunk. They do a great job, two of them, of just kind of, like... You know, they're a little tipsy, but they're not quite tipsy. It's a very believable marriage in that little, like, three-minute scene. And, yeah, and then just like that, all of a sudden, yeah, there's just this, like, naked, clearly, like, looking like a meth addict or something like that in their bathroom. But I don't think it's ever explained. I mean, maybe it's, like, some kind of, like, I don't know, he's just burying everything for him to see kind of bullshit. But I mean, I you're definitely, like, I, I can see functionally and maybe symbolically I could probably tease out some reasons why. And I mean, certainly functionally allows you to see the scratches that are on him. Yeah. Presumably from, I guess, other ghosts similar and to maybe, And maybe that's it, too fits. that's it too fits, man. I bet it's exactly that. It's not just to, to show, like, you're right, the scratches, but, like, Wahlberg lost, like, 40 pounds for this role. So like I think he really wanted to just show, put that on the on the fucking film and just be like, man, look how fucking worn down and withered away this individual is. Maybe is he wanted maybe to show off that, that 
he wanted to show off that sweat equity that he put that's in. Uh, sweet, all that that's weight. sweet, sweet bod of eating just ketchup and fucking bread for like a month. Um, <laughs> I, I did have a, I, I had a good laugh um, when um, <laughs> that opening scene when it sort of pans and we see him there with his shirt off, like holding his arm or whatever. It was just there was there was a certain sort of campy. Like, it was just so absurd to me. And you know what I noticed, too, this first time? I've never noticed before <laughs> in the other viewings. He has a nipple ring. Yes, I, thought that was a very, I thought that was a very odd choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan clearly said, you know what? Leave it in. You know, I, was like, okay. <laughs> I like it. I like the just nipple wor- ring. Just work with it, Donnie. Work with it. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, but I found the performance okay. I, I found him a, a little extreme. Like, I... Uh, I, I I laughed at this one particular line where he was like saying like you know oh you didn't help me but now look at me and then, and then like yeah if you do look at him it's like yeah you you do look bad like that is that is pretty self evident yeah. like it, things have not turned out well um, yeah. but um, you know it's um, I, I I will say he's definitely uh, a creepy fucking character it certainly sets the tone it certainly you know, plunges you into, I guess, the horror genre, you know, it's, so it's, and he does a good job of doing that. I mean, before, before that, it seems like sort of like a romance kind of a film, but then, you know, it takes a pretty sharp turn, I guess, with Donnie Wahlberg. So he certainly succeeds, succeeds there. Um, has he, Scott, has he been in, in other things? Like, I didn't even yeah, I, the I biggest, know him as an actor. The biggest actor. thing from, I can think of from like the horror genre is that he was like the main detective in the second Saw movie. So like oh, yeah. that that was a big role, and I know there's something else I'm sure kicking around, but I mean I guarantee you that's like if you looked him up on IMDb, that'll probably be like his top bill is like Saw Two or whatever, and he just plays the fucking disgruntled detective in that or whatever, right? So, yeah, but sure. I'm, I'm trying to think of something else. I mean before I'm trying to think actually before this, what the fuck did he do before this movie? Was this his first film? Is what I'm I sh- I could should just look it up. I'm sure, but did like he do something on TV too. Wasn't he in like some kind of prime time show? Like either not if not CSI like something oh, okay. or something like, like it, that. Yeah, NCIS or some bullshit. Yeah, I can see that man. It, it, again, like he comes off as that very disgruntled Boston fucking detective very well. He pulls that kind of shtick going. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think so is that enough of is that enough of Vincent Gray or does anyone else got anything to say about that guy? I think it's one other thing I did want to say. I think that's it's really sort of like the only instance of like violence. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's dark themes, people being hanged and people being hit by cars and people slashing their wrists or whatever. But that's always sort of like unexplainable. It's all sort of in the realm of like the supernatural. I mean, that yeah. gunshot at the beginning is the only real sort of act of like violence. It's that, true, yeah. And the only the other moment that I uh, always found really this is another moment I found a little bit disturbing as a kid. But this is, I guess, a degree of violence in this scene as well. But this is when um, Cole's at the party. Cole's at the birthday oh, yeah. party, yeah, yeah. and um, he hears that uh, horse thief or whatever the hell he is uh, that's been locked in that uh, room, and then those uh, bullies kind of throw him in there. But I found that scene kind of disturbing because it, yeah, it's, as, that, it's that whole thing that we- where it's like. You know, the door's closed. We don't know what's going on. And we're just hearing him, uh, Cole, shout these horrible screams, calling for his mother. And that's a really sad moment, too, actually. Yeah. It's a kind of and I, desperation. And, of and I'm the same moment. way, man. I, I remember that one always stuck with me as a kid because, again, like, <laughs> nothing to sound like a bitch or anything, but, like, I'm, I got a huge fear of a claustrophobia. 
and just being like and connected to claustrophobia being in just a confined dark space i guess just all encompassing like so like the idea period of like being buried alive for instance is fucking terrifying to me is what i'm trying to say so like mm. that scene is exactly like it's a little fucking mini like crawl space closet it's pitch black and he, we know that there's something that can affect him in there and then he gets thrown in with it it's like and I, yeah, I, I remember the same thing. As a younger kid, that one really always stuck with me. That scene did. Another scene, oddly, if we're talking about like scares and stuff like that, that stuck with me, um, similar to you guys with the the wife or the, the mother ghost or whatever was in the kitchen, was when it's basically when things kind of start to turn around. It's where he runs into his tent and like the clips start coming off the tent and then he pans down on the girl ghost and she's like vomiting or whatever yeah. like in the spot i remember as a kid like that scene fucking shook me too like there's just something there's just the imagery right like nothing really was that but again like that's a perfect example of what we're trying to say is like that ghost encompasses the whole message where it's like at face value that shocking imagery is scary and we he runs away from it but then when he comes back to her in the same place and just kind of talks to her she's not that scary right like it's just a girl who's being sick, a little girl who's sick. Like, that's not something to be terrified about, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, other scenes in terms of, like, yeah, it, it, like, I'm, I'm not a big jump scare kind of person in horror movies, but I got to say, there are some throughout this movie that are very effective, like, and it's just from a from a pure uh, visual standpoint at times. Like, that, just that moment when you had that boy who was like, hey, want to come see my gun? And he turns around yeah. and it's head like half his head is missing like like, that, yeah. like that's that's really awful that that quick shot of those three people that are hung in the school and they're just their dead cold eyes are uh are just kind of uh looking at you you know and Java, Which, i think uh, those moments are yeah exactly i mean th those are the similar moments that that affected me as well as you know obviously the one of the the mother or the wife or whoever in the kitchen with her wrist slash and all those open cupboards my gosh but I mean, like, I think, John, I think we had a similar, I think we had a conversation once how we actually had, like, somewhat similar, like, recurring nightmares about um, almost like an old hag experience. Mm -hmm. But I think we both had, a, like, a nightmare about someone or something coming right up to our face and just screaming and us being unable to, like, move yeah. or, like, look away from yeah. this thing that that was sort of a similar thing for me was that it was just it was just her and i couldn't i couldn't look away from her i felt like trapped by this woman yeah. who was like, on screen and connected and, to that i just wanted to i want to just uh, pivot a little bit to talk about something thematically that what i uh, thought was interesting in the film that, that i hadn't picked up on uh, until this watch and this has to do with uh, the school setting and specifically, uh, even if we, we uh, connect it to that moment with the teacher that comes over and says, oh, you're, you're a freak, and Cole calls him Stuttering Stanley and that kind of thing. Um, similar to uh, some movies we talked about before, Scott, some of like the, the um, thematic ideas, I wonder if this movie is trying to say something about um, our society's relationship with history and the ways in which you know we tell a story about history, but there are actually horrors that lurk kind of beneath the surface that yeah. again if we're talking about communication that maybe we're kind of unaware of them and we yeah. don't talk about them and we don't you're not so i mean so the so just this to set this the scene you have cole sitting in school he's there with his classmates and 
the teacher is giving a history lesson about Philadelphia and he's talking about, he asks the students, you know, do you know what this school was once used for? Uh, and then Cole kind of gives all these graphic details about this is a place where people were hung and people were, you know, ripped from their families. And the, But in contrast to that, the teacher is trying to tell this more acceptable, palatable narrative, which is that yeah. this is, you uh, know, no, this is this was a, a courthouse and they, they wrote laws here and that kind of thing. So I couldn't and help but yeah. like that's an interesting way in which, you know, history can almost be sanitized in a way. Yep. And we as... Um, you know, as, as members of society almost kind of willfully want to forget the darker or more oppressive elements of our history. And that then speaks to, again, a lack of listening to the voices of the past and actually rec reckoning and realizing, you know, what had gone on in our past, you know? So in, 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 the, in that scene of the three people um, hanging in that doorway when Cole looks up and sees them, uh, that's almost like, you know... I guess the, the 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 victims of the past um, coming up into your face, if you will, or Andrew, yeah. like the old hag, if you will, them kind of coming up right in your face and not kind of going away, and us being kind of forced to to reckon with them, right? So it, yeah. it's a, it's a subtle theme. It's it, it doesn't it's not developed hugely throughout the film, but it's kind of just like tossed in there a couple of different times, and I wonder if that's something that that Shyamalan was trying to consciously do, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's 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 like you're saying. It kind of comes down to the idea, and it's funny, like how some of the how some of these themes in this movie twenty years ago, like, are so prevalent today. Like the idea of whitewashing is so like announced now in terms of like you're saying where history is presented to the youth in a certain censored, palatable way. Like you're saying, right? Similar to like fuck any topic. Like let's say you know a teacher has to go through slavery and basically express how that is to children. It's like, are you going to not to children, but like let's say even like junior high or high school kids. Yeah. Um, it's Christopher like, Columbus and in, in Newfoundland, yes. John Cabot. You know, they discovered yeah. the new. They're world. They're painted as heroes. They discovered a new world. When it's like, and yeah. the reality is, it's like no, they showed up and they stole this land from indigenous people, right? Like that's the reality of it. But we choose to at certain times paint, like you said, a palatable version of this so we can kind of accept where we've gotten to here from our ancestors right and accept our own privileges and make us feel better about the situation that we're in you know exactly right yeah so um you know from there i mean like in terms of um other themes i don't know if there's anything else scott that you said you had some sub themes written down in your notes is there anything else that you wanted to kind of touch on or andrew even if you had something andrew you wanted to bring up in terms of themes or big wild ideas you had about the movie that, that's a, one sort of like observation i had it, it m night Shyamalan, he sort of appears as the as the yeah he kind of does this in his in his movies he kind yeah, of he's a, uh, he tries to be hitchcocksy and like have a does. little fucking role in all his movies it's a yeah. it's a bit like i don't really like that but you know he can do his thing he's not a, he's not a, he's not exactly a, a high caliber actor but and he, and he seems like his cameos are almost uh He's almost featured a little too prominently. No offense. Am I, am I he is a little self-serving or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But in, in Signs, he has like a pretty prominent role yeah. in Signs. I, I think yeah. e even in a movie I haven't seen that he made, it's like the one Lady in the Water with Paul Giamatti in it. He's like literally like one of the co-stars in that fucking movie. He like literally <laughs> takes a huge role in it. It's like, dude, like what the fuck, man? Like, just... he's on the he's on the poster with a shirt off. And his eyes, <laughs> and, like, I think his like, name is women sitting on his like shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I coincidentally hated that movie. 
I didn't see it, man. It's just one of yeah. It's it's one of those. That's where he was literally like you know on his downward spiral, and he's surprisingly enough, like I said, had somewhat of a rejuvenation to his career in the last like six years or so. But that's when he was like peak downhill, like Lady in the Water. Everything after the peak village, downhill. basically, right? Yeah, <laughs> peak downhill, peak bombing. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah like no i'm just kind of looking through my notes here now and it's it's kind of funny it's like i said like you, you just kind of made a good point john where it's like yeah that notion of message of like clearly of just the idea of whitewashing and just like that was plopped in there and like i got lots of little easter eggs like that throughout the movie too of like other issues and problems being brought up and i respect it because like the way he nip he'd like you know sprinkle him in throughout the movie i didn't really care if there was a resolution on what he was saying it's just interesting that he's like making the connections like i didn't need a final answer on that point but i like that the thought is actually there like you're saying like another one i got was like there's clearly you know, a narrative here around class divide and people's resources on dealing with these mental health issues and stuff like that with yeah. children, right? Because at the end of the day, like, how many instances do we see where poor Tony Collette character is, like, going from doctor to doctor and doing this? And, like, she can't – she doesn't have the money to basically have someone like Malcolm talking to Cole. is a scary thing, right? And, I mean, it made it even more prevalent when she went to the birthday party and was trying to be friendly and interact with all these moms who are these uptight – you know, semi-successful people is what they look like. And she just doesn't fit in. And like, they're really clearly making a notion about that and like how these people and these individuals and these, you know, social circumstances and constraints from a hierarchy standpoint can't, even though they want to fix a problem, like how hindered they are when they don't have the resources that just normal people would, right? Yeah. One thing, uh, just to talk about um, the mental health thing again, something that I, that I feel like didn't, age super well in this movie was like that there were these moments that reflected maybe certain attitudes towards maybe treatment of mental health conditions that maybe some of these treatments were like maybe a little bit taboo like for example at one point we have this moment where bruce willis is walking into the bathroom and he's kind of slightly creepily like looking at his wife in the shower but he looks over into the medicine cabinet and there's a container of Zoloft, and she's, you know, <laughs> just, and, and there's oh, almost this like dark, ominous music where it's like, oh, she's on. Oh man, it's so funny you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that, man. My wife literally looked at me when we were watching that. She's like, how convenient the bottle says Zoloft underneath it, antidepressant. It's like, what fucking yeah. prescription bottle actually like says outlines what the specific drug is like that, right? It's just like laughable. But I remember this. I'm trying to think of specific examples, but like I remember this was like a bit of a thing at the time where it was like, you know, taking drugs, taking pharmaceuticals to help with, um, you know, mental health issues w was, was not, uh, maybe as acceptable that it was, it, it was seen as a, as a problem that you had yep. to be, uh, be, be, be taking these, which I think is a very different attitude certainly today. Uh, so that was something that maybe from like, a, you know, attitudes towards mental health probably hasn't aged well, but also even the moment that I found a little strange when, you know, Bruce Willis was talking about, uh, you know, after he had just been told from Cole his secret that he sees dead people you know Bruce Willis steps out with his little tape recorder and is like talking to himself which seems so antiquated by the way talking into those little handheld like yeah. tape recorders anyway he says like you know 
He's, he has, you know, a, this disorder, that disorder, probably going to need hospitalization, medication. And like, we're, we're meant to, we're supposed to feel like, oh, aren't these like terrible things that he yeah. has to resort to these things? Whereas, and they seem so drastic when like, what it should be. It shouldn't be that, you know, we have these, oh God, negative connotations with going to a hospital and seeking treatment or taking the proper medications. So, like, I, you know, I mean, I'm not going to like shit on it too much because the movie's 20 years old and, obviously attitudes towards mental health evolve and change and all that. But it was just a couple things I picked up on that were like, yeah, that doesn't stand up. Yeah. Well. And it's like, I, I totally get what you're saying too, but it's like the one thing I will give the movie respect for is like, you're right at this point in time, like this, th it's, it was almost taboo to talk about this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you're right. Like it was almost like an embarrassment for you, for you to have or be prescribed with anything like this. And like, or, or you're afraid that everyone will look down on you almost. Right. And like, there's almost like no, you know, conceivable way for it to be taken in, especially from a child's standpoint. But like, yeah, like I, I do, it is cool to see it being attacked this point in time. Cause I can't think of many other movies really this long ago that were like kind of tackling this issue, especially from like a child's standpoint. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it, it was refreshing for sure. Um, you know, actually, I, uh, actually, I, I want to pivot here now, though. Yeah, go you, for it. You, 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 uh, you made kind of mention there funny about, uh, you were mentioning things like the pill bottle that was kind of like eye rolly, and you just mentioned something about the tape recorder with, <laughs> with Bruce Willis. The one thing I don't like, and I, I, it is a straight up just like, you know, it's just the way he wrote it and like how he kind of, it's how, Malcolm comes to the full realization that he believes uh, Cole. And it's the fact that, like, he goes into the tapes for Vincent Gray yeah. and he's listening to whatever the fucking the sessions they have when he was a kid. And then, he, then he, he's like, oh, he left the room at one point. And he turns the volume, like, all the way up on the tape recorder. And just from, like, that, he's able to, like, hear the ghost. And I'm just yeah. like, what the fuck? So, like, so, like, I was like, so you can just, like, is that the realization? So, like, we can hear the yeah. ghosts for some reason? Like, I, I just thought that was so, like, I don't know, lazy. Like, I thought and that was poor, really... And poor Vincent. It was like this... I mean, Vincent must have been totally uh, confused at the time because it was this, like, middle-aged Spanish man, it sounded like, in the recording. Yeah. that was just <laughs> berating Vincent. Vincent must have been like, what the fuck do you want from me? <laughs> Leave me alone. I don't understand you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah and this compared to, like the, like, the skill of, like, the rest of the storytelling, it was sort of kind of like, eh. Yeah, it's like it's like they it's like uh, it's almost like last minute he needed a mechanic. He's like, how is he fully going to understand Cole? But I thought that there should have been a more clever way to go about it than that. I liked how he made the connection to Vincent. I don't mind that, but like fucking tape recorder, and he's like, oh, all I got to do is turn it up to eleven, man, and I can hear ghosts. You know, it's just <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed a little silly to me. But I'll explain it. The again, I use my head cannon to explain it in a way that maybe like as a ghost. Because he was – that's what he wanted to, like, be part of and listen to. Maybe only he could hear it. Because, like, my mind frame was like, can anyone hear that? But like, just to touch on – I mean, just to touch on this, though, for a second, though, because it is an interesting thread with this movie is that, like, you know, on the one hand, obviously the claims that Cole are making are unbelievable. And, you know, uh, you should rightfully treat everything that Cole is saying about seeing dead people with a degree of skepticism if you're, like, a rational human being. But at the same time, this must be a sort of – a source of tension that psychologists and child psychologists must need to navigate all the time, which is you want to be respectful to the patient and you want to believe them and you want to believe what they're saying. And I think that we as a society should be listening and believing people when they express the traumas and issues that they have. But at the same time, 
having a degree of skepticism and maybe having a healthy amount of detachment from what they're saying so that you can ultimately help them and then kind of see the truth of what's going on. So it's, 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 um, it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a tricky tension, I think, that, that, that's, yeah. that we still have. It's not really clearly resol- resolvable as a society in terms of, like, you know, listening and believing people at the same time maybe at times being wary of the entire truth of the claims, you know? Right, yeah, I think it's, it's about, like, acknowledging that while what they're going through uh, might be a product of their own sort of mental health or whatever – it is nonetheless real. It's acknowledging the fact that it is real for them. And I think of like schizophrenia, for example. Um, you see these things around, like I think in I think Newfoundland it's called like a like a hearing voices network. Um, I mean, the, the approach is sort of like, you know, who am I to say that you do not hear voices? I mean, for you, you absolutely do hear those voices. So the yeah. first kind of thing is acknowledging that their lived experience is, is real or is valid. From a place of compassion and understanding. Cool. Yeah, and, and again, like I think like the genius of like everything we're saying here, it's like I think what it comes down to is like the genius of this script and the fact that like it could have been like almost a bow put on the end of this movie. Because you, you said it earlier, Andrew, where it's like it's a sad ending technically, but it's done in like it's 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 giving you such a mature ending for the both situations from whether it's Malcolm or whether it's from Cole because again like what I appreciate more and more and more and the older I get and the more I watch it especially prevalent to nowadays is the fact that like they didn't magically cure Cole and he's now all of a sudden he can't fucking see dead people anymore like I love the idea and the notion that it's like he's just learned I've got to adapt with this this is my life and this is I'm not going to get past this and if I I just had to accept that this is a thing and learn how to live my life that way. It's such a mature way to like wrap that up, even though it might seem a little kind of like, I don't know, some people might feel like I didn't get this kind of closure to what's going on. But I think what gives us that closure is the final monologue and scene between him and Lynn in the car when, like you said, the bike, or bikers knocked down later, right? Because we understand where him and Malcolm stood. We know that they're done there. And all that was left for him to do was basically just to tell his mom and be honest mm. with her. Because she's the, you know. And okay, let, let me cycle back to what do you think? Do you think Cole knew the whole time that Malcolm was a ghost? No. No? No, See, I, I, I I think he okay. does. Oh. But I'm curious. I'd love to hear both ways because I, I there's never there's no answer. Like there's nothing blatant in the movie to tell us. But I was always curious about that. I mean, I, I see exactly what you're saying, and I mean, I'm sure Cole. I think the sense we're we're supposed to get with Cole is that he's so inundated with ghosts that maybe he has a hard time kind of separating who's dead and who's alive himself. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe he does think that. I will say that there's no suggestion by Cole that he thinks that over yeah no, you're right. you know, w- which makes me think that maybe maybe not and like you know I mean Malcolm will will, will talk about like oh I, at the beginning of the film he says I, I you know I sorry we I missed our, our last appointment and you know he talks about how he's going to refer him to another psychologist all these kinds of uh, actions that that he would take or has taken that um, would imply that he's still alive. And at no point is Cole like, you can't transfer me to another psychologist because you're fucking dead. You know, like, that's never, <laughs> you know? So, like, I mean, he would be a pretty shrewd kid to um, to withhold that. I don't yeah. 
Yeah, mm. it's, it's it's like I said, it's interesting because I it's I find that's not really talked about a lot once the movie's over and stuff, and it's just kind of because you're right, there there isn't a concrete answer. Like I look for it when I'm watching it to just try to like you know make that connection or something. And then at the end, he doesn't even like say anything when they finally had their little like you know we're done here conversation at the school after the play. Like that doesn't even clarify anything. So. Mm. I, and, I, and again, I don't like. I'm here picking at that, but it, that doesn't matter. Like, that's not the fucking. That's not where I should be focusing my energy. Basically, is what yeah. it comes down to. I One other thing I wanna I wanna raise, and I, I just want to see um, your take on this. Do you guys think that this is a somewhat of a, a religious movie? I was gonna ask you that as well, and um, kind of t- was gonna tie into my question of what you made of right toward the end. I think once after everything is revealed and everyone's at peace, um, there's sort of this like flash of light. Um, and I think we're like almost like mm-hmm. moving. Do you remember that? I don't know if he's like moving toward a light, but there's like this big, yeah. like very. Sunny it's just he closes. He closes his eyes. He's like, you know, I'll, he's like, I'll. In the morning, things will be different. Goodbye, honey. Closes his yeah. eyes, and then it kind of whitewashes to a scene yeah. of, of of at their wedding video, I think. And then it's a scene of oh, them. Okay. It's a very sad moment, actually. That moment where it shows them like slow dancing at their wedding, I guess, and then it's end credits yeah. type thing. But you're right. Uh, is that insinuating like him going on to the next stage? Like with I, Jesus I, now. <laughs> <laughs> but even like even just to the like by the like we talked about how you know our relationship as viewers with the ghosts kind of undergoes a bit of a uh, transformation from an experience standpoint. We go from being afraid of them to being you know maybe a little bit more tolerant of them. But I think you know at the end we're almost meant to have maybe a bit of a. I don't know, like a, a weird sense of gratitude or emotional connection to the ghost. Because you think of that moment where you have Cole and the mom talking about how, you know, oh, Cole says, you know, I, I was speaking to grandma and she and she uh, says that I went and saw you or saw her uh, at the dance recital when she was a little girl. And she's and she and Cole asks his mom, you know, what was the question that you asked? And, you know, the grandma said, you know, every day. The idea was that, you know, she's the grandmother is proud of yeah. mother every day. But anyway, point being that like to me it felt like very much like, oh, like the ghosts now are being presented as angels, are being presented as these kind of watchful, yeah, benign, wholesome, loving figures. Almost not that dissimilar from, you know, traditional notions of ghosts with um in Christianity or you know, you you name it. Not to mention that you know the church is presented as like um, yeah, and he, and he almost has a place to hide out in, you know. And he has stuff. his own little shrine in his house too, like his little fort or tent. Essentially, that's like a makeshift church because he's stolen all the like the Mary the the what do you call it the Mary statues and Jesus statues and stuff like that. And he has created his own little like shrine church in his room for it's like. And I'm wondering if it's like if it's almost just kind of like a false sense of protection is all that's supposed to represent because like we don't really know if the ghosts or anything don't go in the church or anything like that or whatever but it's like it's almost like the it's padded in there to almost say like whether it's working or not it's like the placebo effect on him it makes him kind of put at ease and takes his anxiety down with this like symbolism being around in this imagery maybe i think so and i'm thinking about the time you know he's also like very proficient in latin it seems like he knows a lot of like prayer I remember those moments he's like doodling certain prayers or he's saying them out or whatever i almost see religion that way as just sort of him trying to latch on to like anything to provide yeah. him comfort because yeah. he doesn't doesn't seem to me like he fully understands what's going on it seems like no. he knows they're dead 
yeah. what's so ironic is he's stealing stuff from the church. So it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like it's it's like you're saying it's like he's trying to use it as a coping mechanism to deal with this because he's not talking to anyone else. And as a child, again, just this it, simple imagery, you're like, well, I guess this is going to protect me. But it's yeah. just kind of like, you know, taken at just face value, I suppose. And also with a religious standpoint, I think the film is trying to make the argument that faith is justified faith is warranted because you think about the mother you know she's she's, when when they're sitting at that scene in the kitchen table she says you know i've been praying but nothing's been happening you know the idea that you know faith is this thing that doesn't give you answers and you don't know if what you're if you're just praying to some void or there actually is a god there but then in that that same scene i was talking about in the car where they're talking about the mother watching over them i guess she's getting some answers there some answers about how Oh, your prayers are justified. You know, you, you know, the, the the faith is warranted. And honestly, when I think about even some other films of M, M. Night Shyamalan, Scott, I guess there is a bit of a, a religious element there. I mean, th- you think it's of signs. Sign, sign, I mean, signs yeah. is I even mean, that is fundamentally a movie yeah. about faith, faith and about yep. losing faith and having your faith restored and that kind of thing. So. You know, I, it's interesting. I don't know anything about Shyamalan's background. He's a religious person or just likes those narratives. But I feel like he's kind of, um, you know, has put that in there in this film. So it's, a, you know, so th- thematically, it's a very rich film for all, like for everything that we've talked about. I mean, it's a lot of these themes are not, I would say, uh, woven together entirely at times. Some of them are just kind of almost wedged here and there. It yep. seems like in certain scenes, but and I kind of like, and I kind of like it. It's what I was saying earlier. It's a very strange because like. If, if from a critical standpoint, when people are just looking at that just like on the page, they might say, like we were saying earlier, it's like, well, you're not really tying up what you're saying here. Or it's like, you know, it's like you're sprinkling this nugget and it really doesn't fit the overall narrative as a whole. But like, I don't know, for some reason, it, it's like the disjunctedness of these themes, like you're saying, kind of work for me. They get, they put some meat on the table and it just like it, it allows me to like, like I don't know not so much interpret things a certain way, but it like, it, it gives me something to work with. Right. And that's kind of, again, what I was saying before we even started talking about the movie itself is that I forgot how much of a core there was to this movie, just from a writing standpoint, than just there being a clever twist. Like it's not just a fucking twilight zone episode. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I, and yeah, and whether they get fully tied out, tied up or they're fully fleshed out and stuff. Yeah. I was just surprised with how much effort he seemed to make to want to make these little points. Right. Yeah, and they don't they don't feel um, they don't feel like shoehorned in for for me very much. It feels like very much like very natural sort of yeah. question marks conversations that come from the storytelling. And they just um, fit, and exactly, they just fit. They're just kind of like there, and it's like take it or leave it. You can run with that, or or just drop it all together if you're not interested in it. Or yeah. it's like you know you can kind of carry it with you and see if that kind of like comes to the end at some point and fits, like you said, the over encompassing message, right? Yeah, and I like how it's not all. I mean. For me, anyway, like if I see something like all these sort of thematic um, things being brought up, or like being like uh, all these sorts of conclusions being reached at the very, very end, or different plot points um, being connected at the very, very end, for me, that's like a sign of like the rest of the movie maybe wasn't very well written. Everything is like mm. quickly, quickly being resolved at the end. Exactly. But I didn't, I didn't get that for this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, the ending just made like so much sense. Exactly. No pun intended. Ah! Um. <laughs> well, that's cool. Like, I mean, yeah. And I, honestly, like, I'm just kind of like just going through my notes and stuff. And I mean, like, for, there's there's nothing really major in terms of like you know messaging and themes. And I think we even covered like what the movie itself is trying to say. 
as a whole, just kind of we went over it a couple of times, honestly. But the one thing I just want to kind of give a quick shout out to what I really appreciated on this watch. It's not a big deal, but it's just something I just really, I don't know, it kind of captivated it for me. And it put a little stamp on the movie in terms of like the identifying of visuals. I love the setting of Philadelphia. And I loved the fact that like even though they weren't contained in one house the whole movie, like they were going from the school to the church to like Malcolm's house to the jewelry shop and all these different places. But like it felt very tight and confined for some reason. And and I, I don't know. There was something really specific about it. And because they specifically chose a lot of buildings like old time buildings like we have here in St. John's. Yeah. It, created this very weird timeless feel to it it's like it's like there's nothing like putting a dot on it saying this is 1999 and i like that besides some of the the perceptions on childhood you know mental health and stuff we were talking about earlier but like the setting it's almost timeless right there's something about movies set in the northeast for horror movies the northeast united states be it you know new york georgetown we talked about exorcist last week or new england and films that we've talked about it almost had a these cities these bigger cities in the northeast states are often you know kind of older so the um the, the buildings are, are brick. The buildings, you know, kind of have this kind of older architectural feel. But as a result of that, there's almost like a, a gothic quality that comes yeah. through if it, yep. w- with these films, you know, because of that, these older stone buildings. And again, there's even if, even in this film, I mean, the if you look at the school from the outside, it has a very gothic feel. The church does, you know, and and even like you talk about the setting, even the time of year, like it feels like the fall. It feels yeah. like I think it is the fall. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think, I think so. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know that. this. Yeah, you're right. I don't think this would have packed as much of a punch if it were set in like Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. Imagine this movie being in L.A. or some shit. It's just like it doesn't I literally can't understand how the movie would function. It just doesn't like fit. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's such a it, I, like watching it this time. It's like it's such a specific staple to the movie that I don't think really gets talked about enough. And again, it just it just. It really adds care. It's so fucking cliche to say, but it's almost like the city's a character itself type of thing, right? Like it really just uh, creates a specific setting that I just aesthetically really enjoy. Is what it comes down to. Like I love the way the school looks specifically. Um, even like I said, the, like uh, the old timey architecture in that like bully's house, or like the remember the birthday parties at like the yeah. fucking old wooden banisters and shit. Like everything's kind of like not of its time, and I just I just I don't know. I just really like it type of thing. And because right? obviously you're dealing with ghosts, it's 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 just great. Like they're always making these connections with history. Like they talk about yep. how the school had burned down, and the, one of the ghosts, you know, is someone that obviously died in that fire. And we talked about how you know the the build the the, the school the the school was once a place where um, you know laws were passed and that kind of thing. So it's just you know because it's an because it's uh, an older city, it's so steeped in history, and also because it's so um, such an, an older setting, you have these connections with past generations and ghosts and that kind of thing. So it's it just um, it just works. I think with horror movies and setting them in, uh, in older cities and yeah. h- historical cities. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much like all I really had to say overall. I didn't know if you, either one of you guys had uh, anything else you wanted to touch on or if we should just all kind of give our final thoughts here. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and just give my, uh, final thoughts, I guess. Um, sorry, Andrew, I didn't give you an opportunity to, uh, go for it. <laughs> I just kind of jumped in there. Um, yeah, I mean, 
great movie for all the reasons that we uh, we mentioned. I will um, give a couple of, of minor criticisms here. Um, one at times is Toni Collette. I feel like her New York accent kind of comes in and out at times. It's uh, Sometimes she's from New York and from like the Bronx and sounds like a cab yeah. driver. Other times she doesn't sound that way. So I feel like it's a little inconsistent, a little uneven. Also, at times from a dialogue standpoint, it does kind of feel like a PG-13 horror movie. Like, there's all these lines where, like, like, a few lines here and there where you'll have, like, Bruce Willis when he's, like, talking to that guy who seems to be, like, trying to, like, hit on his wife. And remember, like, the wife kind of says, no, I'm not interested in hanging out with you one day. And, yeah, and then Bruce Willis is kind of peering out in his cellar looking up and he says, you know, get out of here, cheese dick. And there's another time where... Where they're, I don't know, Cole says, oh, you said the S word. You, you said shit. Like, it feels, it has that almost, um, at times, kind of slightly juvenile quality that some PG-13 movies can have, especially from a dialogue standpoint. Uh, and even um, some of the, a couple of the characters, I would even argue, seem a little cartoonish. Like that child actor kid who stars in the commercial. Right. Um, who's just, did a bully who just seems like such a dick for like not any <laughs> clear reason is constantly just so like cruel to Cole. So it, it, yeah. So I had a couple of, um, I guess issues with the movie, but overall beautiful plot, you know, beautiful performance by Haley Joel Osmond. Uh, and another thing which we didn't mention, I love uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, camera work as well. Something I didn't mention is beautiful at moving the camera. There's all kinds of, you know, really, excellent kind of uh, technical ways in which Shyamalan moves the camera and kind of presents the scene and presents the characters in really interesting ways that I enjoyed. Uh, love the score, you know, is something else we didn't mention. Um, and I love the use of, I guess, um, conventional tropes that are found in horror movies, like the jump scares, like the somewhat cliche sound effects, sound effects that for some reason in this movie kind of really worked for me. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're talking about, from a horror movie standpoint, one of the great performances of all time, as far as I'm concerned, you know, with Haley Joel Osment, I think it will go down. Certainly one of the, one of the best child actor uh, in a horror movie performances of all time, if not one of the best child actor performances, period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, as Scott mentioned, you know, this is a movie that had a profound influence on movies that would come afterwards. And I think, as you mentioned, Scott, is kind of pivotal from a um, perception of horror movie standpoint, which is that, you know, I think that a lot of people in the horror community uh, don't want horror movies to necessarily have these built-in expectations as to what horror movies need to be, that they can be have a little more depth, they can mm-hmm. be a little more unconventional and be taken a little bit more seriously. And I think that this movie is one of those, a movie that in some ways contains certain kind of horror tropes, but also gets away from them as well and is kind of its own unique, well-crafted, um, interesting film. So, uh, love it. I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Um, Andrew, cool. do you want to... Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, anecdotally, this movie will always hold such a special place in my oogie spooky heart. Um, <laughs> John, like, yeah, like you said about the, the music... Um, I think yeah. What's I, I'm also a huge fan of the score. I mean, the use of like orchestra and violins, and mm-hmm. which is often very sort of like um, traditional almost. Yeah, like but 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 it works. 
Um, but also the, the use of silence, I think, is really powerful mm. uh, throughout the movie. Um, sort of those moments, yeah, where like we're sort of like fixed on that ghost or whatever, like the the people who are hanging um, at the school yes. or the the biker who's the bloody yes. face in the window. That's a totally silent moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the absence of sound and music, I think, is really effective too. Mm. Um, but yeah, I am such a fan of this movie. Um, do we rate movies at the end of the <laughs> Yeah. Know. What do you want to give it out of ten? There. We Andrew? just give we give them out of ten, so you can. Uh, four and a half. Out of ten? Out of ten? <laughs> yeah. Eleven out of ten. Big fan. One of my favorite movies forever. Awesome, man. No, I, yeah, I'm just going to kind of piggyback off both of you. I, um, it, it's, it's one of those weird ones. Again, it's kind of like The Blair Witch where it's like uh, I can specifically remember where I was to when I saw this, especially in theaters, who I was with, and just seeing it without anything being spoiled on it and just like taking the movie completely for what it, experiencing the movie for exactly what Shyamalan wanted me to see it at, especially at that fucking young age. And I could just so vividly remember even being that young, just like experiencing the movie. And I mean, that says a lot about it. Right. And I think we went through all the key points in here and why I appreciate this movie so much and just the amount of layers it has for kind of like the lack of characters, really. Like, I mean, there are a lot of little side characters floating around that we don't really take time at all to get to know. But I mean, with just these three key performances and I mean, so many different messages and ideologies are kind of floating around here and kind of come full circle, most part at the end. And at the end of the day, I think Shyamalan, whether he sticks the landing from the message, I, I think, which was most important, which was the idea of communication on all points, right? But mechanically, he just lands that shock ending. And it, I mean, it still stands up today. And I wish, I wish, 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 wish I could sit with someone who fucking doesn't know this ending and experience the movie with them. It feels like I cannot remember the last time I sat with this movie and like someone didn't actually know what happened. So, I mean, I just wish I could experience that again because that's almost just half the fun in itself because it's such a cliche now what we were saying earlier with Shyamalan and like what he's even expected to do anymore with his movies. So, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I'll kind of dock points on is exactly what John said earlier is that like I made the case for Bruce Willis being as boring as he kind of is in the film for like why I think it was given that direction. But I don't think he hit the mark on when he needed to step up and just have those small points of like emotional beats and I'll give him a bit of shit there, especially when you got Haley Joel Osment <laughs> fucking doing mm-hmm. what he has to do in this movie. <laughs> and, I mean, the only other thing, maybe it's a slight critique, but it's also I'll give it credit for when it was made at, like, the idea. When the twist happened, there's that standard, like, montage of, like, oh, remember when he was sitting here? Oh, remember when he was with this person? And it, like, yeah. showed you all the things. And it's, like, I, I don't mind it because, like, that's what, like, every Saw movie does that at the end of it. It's, like, the whole fucking, like the score plays and then they show you all the little Easter eggs throughout the movie before it ends. But like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of eye rolling nowadays, but that's being a bit hard on the movie when it's like, this was a very different first time. It's never been done to the stakes. Right. So I'll give it a pass in terms of that, but I just kind of, it sucks to end on that kind of note is what I'm trying to say. So, but either way, man, I mean, overall I'll give this without a doubt, like 8.5 out of 10. I think it's just such an, incredibly emotional movie even more than a horror movie half the time and like the more and more i watch this as i get older i cling to the relationship between lynn and cole and just how human that is and just like any 
like scenes between two of them when it's not just solo, like two of them are together. Like you can't put a better pairing of actors together that just feed off each other. And I mean, yeah. And two of them got the credit they deserved, whether they, you know, just getting nominated for the Oscars that they did. And uh, yeah. Um, so if God, if someone's listening to this and hasn't seen the movie, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, <laughs> for, for the love of God, go watch the movie, even though you know now what the fuck happened, I suppose, at this rate. All right, so yeah, I guess that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not going to be spinning the wheel of horror or anything, so we'll be back to normal uh, standard procedures and stuff on our next episode, uh, which will drop next Monday. Uh, but yeah, I just want to give a real thank you here, Andrew, for being our first guest, man. This is really exciting for us. We're, we're hoping this new horror story side uh, bonus series kind of takes off for us and leads to even more interesting discussions that we had today. So I hope you had a good time, man. Thanks. No, I, I totally had a blast. Like like I said before, we were chatting. This is like uh, COVID's really real here in Vancouver, and this is sort of like the closest thing to a social gathering I've had in about a year. <laughs> Fantastic. So, and listen, if you ever want to come back, um, unfortunately we're booked up so that we won't be able to do that. But <laughs> but listen, but we enjoyed having you this time. Yeah. Thanks, no, it was man. it was really great, man. Thanks thanks so much for suggesting that movie too, man. It's been it was a great excuse to revisit it. I gotta say. So, so I guess that's going to wrap us up for this evening, folks. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, the Spooky Newfies, where we'll be posting regularly with updates on episode details, host picks, and other bonus, uh, bonus content. Uh, we're also available on all podcast platforms, so we greatly appreciate you folks leaving us a rating review on the Apple Podcast platform, which helps us even get more listeners than yourselves. So, yeah, I guess on that note, we'll see you next week when we're back to our normal format. And uh, in the meantime, folks, uh, keep it spooky. Thanks, guys. See ya.